advisory to those who are not animal lovers, open to new ideas, or interested in integrative holistic healthcare for your pets, and believe that prescription diet is the best food for your pet. This podcast may offend your sensibilities. Have you ever felt frustrated and helpless after listening and doing everything your vet told you to do but it only made your sick pet worse and not get any better? That's me in 2008 with my first adopted cat, Meow. I did everything the vet told me to do and I realised she wasn't getting any better and only worse. So I decided to look into alternative health options and was drawn to the stories of holistic pet service entrepreneurs and their transformative journey, overcoming obstacles, chasing their passion and creating a movement that has caused a ripple effect of positive change in the lives of their clients and pets around the world. Join me as I share the raw, inspiring journeys of these amazing entrepreneurs, their successes and failures. My name is Amrys Wang, and this is The Raw Entrepreneur. Good morning, everyone. This is Amrys Wang of The Raw Entrepreneur. Today's interview is with Dr. Anaheim Bjorkman, the leader of the Dog Risk Research Group in Finland. She works as a senior researcher, principal investigator, and teacher at the Department of Equine and Small Animal Medicine at the Veterinary Faculty of the University of Helsinki in Finland. 80% of her time goes to research and she works with patients once a week. A lot of her time goes to securing funding for her researchers and the administration of her research group. Her main areas of interest are why chronic diseases in dogs and humans occur, observing and charting the disease process and the role nutrition plays in both. She also has a strong background in chronic pain management, acupuncture, other non-conventional therapies, unheated dog foods, also called raw, fresh or bath, and nutraceuticals. This is her origin story. Who is Anaheim Bjorkman? Uh well, I'm a normal vet, being a bit abnormal with what I do. Uh, I, I really, I started off in 15, I think, so uh, working for over 30 years. And um, I've, uh, I kind of started, I had a really, really, uh, kind of a, a story of a bad back for myself and uh, my uh, my kind of lucky accident was that I was in a in a car crash and after being in a car crash my very very bad back kind of went into place and uh, and I had no pain anymore. So I had had kind of pain for 16 years. You know, there's this kind of, of steel and I couldn't ride, you know, horse riding or sisters could. And, and I had a lot of things that, that I couldn't do. And, um, and then I had this car crash and what actually uh, got me really angry was that when I, I came back to my my kind of back doctor and said that 
you know, that I, I'm totally cured now that I don't have anything. And I think that it was the car crash that did it. And he was totally ignorant of that and said that that's not possible and and that's totally nonsense. And I said that, you know, that there's all of these chiropractors and acupuncturists and osteopaths and people who do things like, you know, manipulations of the back. And what do you those? It's just and it doesn't work and it doesn't function. So I is never went back. And I never went back for two reasons. One was that I never had a bad back again. And the second reason was that they didn't need uh, any bad back doctor anymore. So when I got into vet school, I actually got, I thought I couldn't get bad back, but then cured, I got to school too many years, but I must all of those who wants to become a vet. It took me four years to get in, so it's a long time to study just to get in, but it's all worthwhile. So all of you young people who, who are dreaming about it, just go on dreaming and do it. Um, so when I got into vet school, I, I kind of had this, this anger about this decision already in me, just because I had been had had help for my back from acupuncture and then I got kind of cured in a car accident with with some kind of manipulation so so I uh, when there was chances of taking these kind of odd uh, extra courses like like acupuncture and homeopathy I I actually did and um, of them not in the finished school, but it was, they were given as um, extra courses in the Nordic country. And I followed them. And then when I became, became a vet and came out of vet school, I, uh, I started using acupuncture kind of right away. And I started using it actually on cows because my first job was up in, in you know, out in the countryside where I was treating uh, mostly cows, but also swine and horses, and and um, because it was in a part of Finland where they're kind of uh, used to this kind of of uh, of old time medicine, they thought that it would be you know just fun for me to try to put needles in their cows, and they were really happy when we were treating mastitis and and uh, you know downer cows. I I put acupuncture needles so that it would be easier for them to get up, you know, not have so numb legs anymore and things like that. And um, and I kind of got a reputation in that part of Finland of being the kind of the 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 kind of red Indian uh, type of veterinarian who was doing these really strange things. But the good thing was that that when you give antibiotics and and a lot of pain medication and other to cows, you have to kind of uh, put their milk you aside. You 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 have to throw it away because it can't be sold to any consumer. So actually, treating uh, cows with with acupuncture was was excellent. And also, I started quite early to use homeopathy. And uh, I was I was uh, training myself for doing manipulations and and uh, with all that there was a kind of a, a 
big community that at that time, you know, there wasn't internet and there wasn't any emails or things like really. So, so we were just, you know, having conferences once or twice a year and courses, and then we'd meet and, and discuss things and, and learn more and more. And, and I, I realized that a lot of people were using, um, raw food for their dog and cat patients, for example. And, and I think that it's kind of part of this holistic medicine that you're, you're trying to make the patient, you know, as healed as possible uh, for, for uh, kind of, of normal uh, healing to take place because of, of uh, other things that you're using like acupuncture or something. So I started very early on, on uh, using raw feeding as a medication for my patients. And, um, and I guess that uh, I did my PhD in chronic uh, pain relief uh, for dogs and, and used osteoarthritis as a model. And there I was looking at nutraceuticals and acupuncture and homeopathy. So all of these kind of complementary medicine uh, ways of, of treating where you wouldn't need any any medication and uh, and after that I thought that okay if I can do research on all of these strange things in a university then probably I can also look into raw food and that's that's where we are now <laughs> wow that was a long long introduction but I guess that's me in a nutshell <laughs> oh no I love I love stories you know I go into as, as long a detail as you want because um, that's what fascinates me is, you know, to know more about my heroes. You are one of my heroes, I'll, you know. And um, could yeah. I just um, check with you, how long ago was that uh, when, you were, when you were in vet school and a vet student? Uh, I was in vet school, uh, yes, over 30 years ago. <laughs> so like that's 80 uh, I got I got into vet school 83 1983 and you've been using holistic modalities yeah and in Finland vet school sorry I, I lost you there could you just repeat your last sentence uh Yes, I, yeah, I, well, I can't remember what I said, but it, I guess it wasn't any, anything very, yeah, I can see that our, I think that me being out on a desert island here in the Finnish archipelago isn't the best place to have internet contact in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for that, but you know, uh, that's okay. We'll, we'll just do our best. I, I can hear you most times and that's fine. You know, um, like I said, I'm, I'm very touched and honored that you actually agreed to, to uh, take, do this interview with me. Um, and I just find your story so fascinating. I, you know, I, I never knew that, you know, um, to, to, to hear about your, your back problem and your car accident and then, you know, having the car accident actually sort of manipulate your back back into place so that you're no longer in yeah. pain. You know, that, that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, yeah. that's truly a blessing and a miracle in itself. <laughs> 
you know, and, <laughs> and it's, a, uh, it, it, it's really, it was really a blessing. And, and, and I think that, that, um, you know, just realizing that, uh, that a big manipulation is all that it needs and that, you know, you've been in pain for years and years. So, I mean, I was talking to my parents, my parents aren't alive anymore, but, but when they were trying to ask them, you know, at what age I used to have pain or any accidents or anything. And, you know, I was kind of a wild child. So I came down uh, on sledges and ended up in trees and, you know, this and that. So there's a lot of places that I could have hurt myself, but, just realizing that all what really is needed when you're in pain that comes suddenly is that you should go and, and you know, connect, kind of put it back together again by somebody else who knows how, how backs are. And ever since actually, I've every time I have the slightest pain in my back or my kids get a pain in their back or any relative or any, I always send them to Finland, they're called napropots. But in France, they're osteopaths, and in in most countries, they're chiropractors. But I mean, anybody who who is very good at at manipulating a back is is a blessing for anybody. Um, how old were you when you had um, your back problems? Like, how long had had you did you suffer from your back issues? Well. From all, all my first life that I ran, I had the car accident when I was 16. So when I was 16, it kind of, it, it is. So basically, you're, you're literally your childhood, you had back problems. And yeah. when you had your car accident at age 16, you were fine again. Yeah, I, I, was, I wasn't driving. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. I, I was sitting in the uh, on the right side, like well, not driving the the side be, the passenger uh, side seat beside driver. Yeah, and uh, and we made a total frontal accident. You know, two two cars coming on a small road, like totally two, and our car is, was totally cracked and. Uh, uh, was worth about one hundredth of its price. After it, you know, everything, there was nothing left of it. They just, and, uh, but for me, it's a blessing. My, my boyfriend who was driving, he got a broken arm and that was all. So actually, that was, we were quite lucky, both of us. <laughs> and, and were you always um, an animal person? I mean, what, what made you decide to, to become a vet? I mean, you obviously had so many options, you know, um, but what, 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 was, what was, you know, uh, what drove you to, to think, you know, I, I want to be a vet. I want to, you know, take that plunge and spend so many years studying to be a vet. <laughs> well, I... I actually don't i mean i've always like you said i've always been a very uh, uh, kind of, of of animal person like i think most of our uh, us who are vets are, have always been dragging home dogs and cats and spiders and and snakes and uh, lizards and whatever from the nature and and you know 
tried to take care of them and and um, we had a lot of animals at home when i was small like just pets animals we weren't living in the farm or anything and uh, my my uh, friend has a book you know that you know those books that you would write in when you were small like my friends and there's kind of a picture of me and then there's like my favorite color is blue and my my um, you know favorite this and that. and then at the age of six i had already said that i'm going to be a vet so that's kind of the memory of of that it was so early i have it black on white so that i've written in her book that i want to become a vet so i guess that it's kind of an always dream that I had. And that's probably also why I never gave up and it took me four years to get in. And, and, and I thought that, you know, now I, my back wasn't a problem. And, and um, so I had actually read all the wrong things in school to, for, for my kind of examination because my, my doctor always said that there's no chance I can with my bad back. So I, I thought that, okay, I'll, re, I'll become a, an interior designer was my next kind of on the list. Really? So I was thinking, yeah, things like mathematics, but also a lot of arts and, and languages and things like that. And, uh, and then all of a sudden when my, my back was okay, then I had to kind of reschedule and and I didn't, I couldn't, for example, read physics anymore in school. So, uh, so I had to kind of read my whole physics, but I had had chemistry, which was good. And I hadn't had uh, psychology, which was also kind of a must. So I had to reread three years of, of physics, three years of psychology to be able to take the entrance. That's why it took me kind of a kind of a while but I was doing other things and I went also to a business school for some years where while I was kind of get trying to get in and I was reading marine biology in France for a year and and I was lead, reading physics and chemistry at the university and and I'm still reading things at the university all the time I'm a kind of a all all-time student i'm never going to give up that i just love to learn. <laughs> oh that's that's amazing i mean really that 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 passion and determination to to study it and to get what you want you know um wow you must have been a very yeah. young stubborn young young lady <laughs> I'm actually a very feisty and stubborn old lady now. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I can say is, I thank God for that car accident for you. Because yeah. Yeah, if yeah, it wasn't yeah. because of that, we wouldn't have Dr. Anaheim Bjorkman, you know, uh, and, and all the good work. No, that that would be I, I'm, I'm still trying yeah, to absorb, yeah. you know, your story. And I just think that that's unbelievable and like wow <laughs> that's amazing sometimes some bad things can become very good in the end um so would you sometimes say you, would you say that you're you're by nature an, an optimist or pessimist 
Oh, very easy. I'm a super, super, super optimist. I don't have any pessimistic things in me. I, for me, there is nothing that it doesn't work. It's just a question of time, you know, when it works or how it works. But, uh, and I actually, I, I use that a lot in my research as well. And I think that that's a typical thing that most people, when they do research, they're, it's it's kind of a you know that you're you you're testing hypotheses that you already know that are either going to work or not and and then uh if they don't work you're really upset and you never publish it and i i again think that it's wonderful every time i prove myself wrong because it's just as important and it's also really really good to get the no's you know that okay this wasn't true or this didn't work because then i mean there's still about 200,000 options of how it could work or or why it did work or didn't work or so it's uh, i just keep on trying and uh, and i I think that my kind of my motto is that I believe in everything until it's proven that it doesn't work. And it's not kind of the other way around where, where you believe only in things that are proven right. I think that we still have such a lot of things that nobody has looked at. So it's really unfair saying that they don't work because it's just an assumption or it is something that, uh, uh, kind of the dogma or the uh, you know says this is something that that uh, work like homeopathy example I don't work very much with homeopathy anymore just because it makes people uh, put me in a cast where I don't think I belong uh, because everybody who believes in homeopathy are are kind of imbeciles in the in the minds of most people and and that's totally stupidity because nobody knows how homeopathy works but everybody knows actually that homeopathy works if you go in and look at the meta-analysis uh if you know go into to look at all research that has been done there's much 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 more data saying that it works the problem is that we don't know how it works and actually i think that the same thing is what we see now with the raw food it's uh, we have like nearly 80 years of giving kibble in different forms to to dogs and and a bit less years to to give it to cats and uh, we're, we're kind of now, everybody who is my age and, and younger has not even seen dog or cat being brought up by anything else than kibble or maybe some type of sausages or cans, but, but really nothing that they call raw food. So uh, uh, I think that there's like certain places like in, in New Zealand and in Australia, because they have such a lot of, of, of both sheep and cows, they actually do have a surplus of, of uh, parts that are kind of good meat. 
So I guess that in this part of, or that part of the world, they have been eating uh, raw foods for, for longer times. Uh, but, but for most veterinarians, there's actually not an option for anything else than dry food. And it's, it's, it's not really their fault. It's, it's their ignorance just comes from we in the curriculum, we have so little on raw food, on, on really uh, what the need of carpets for dogs actually is, which is none. Uh, if you're not talking about fiber, which is of course very, very good for, for any animal, but like just like soluble uh, carbohydrates, they, they don't need it. Of course, you, it's, it's cheap, it's easy, you can give it to them, they're not dying from it. But uh, what we're seeing is actually a lot of these diseases that we see in humans as well, uh, which is all these chronic diseases like cancer, hypothyroidism, epilepsy, uh, all types of allergies and atopies. Uh, different inflammatory diseases, both of the skin and the gut and, and wherever. Uh, so all the si same kind of same type of, of uh, good quality of life diseases that we see in humans, uh, we see in, in dogs and cats nowadays, especially in dogs. So, so just kind of, of uh, seeing now the newest research that's being done on human research, on human nutrition, sorry, uh, where they're looking at processing as a, as a kind of mode of destroying the human food uh, for consumption then, and, and maybe uh, kind of being the source of this uh, kind of slow inflammatory state that this kind of mild inflammation which is chronic that we see so much in in uh, both humans and dogs that uh, it's a possibility i don't say it is it might also be that there there is not enough nutrients uh, in the dry food that there is not enough fat in the dry food because it would get rancid as it has to stay long time on, on warm shelves. Uh, might be that there's not enough uh, bacteria in it so that the microbiota of our guts get totally uh, kind of flat. Uh, there's a million different reasons. I just see that there is a difference between the dogs that eat raw food and that eat uh, uh, different type of, of processed foods. and. Uh, that's that's why I'm looking at it. I I, I just see a, and I see a difference in in the frequency of of uh, health and disease, but the reason for it is totally unknown to us still. So we're looking at every direction, and and of course what we did was that we started off by the obvious. Uh, that we knew that people would start banging us with which is that raw food that it's full of pathogens and it's very dangerous so actually the three first studies we did were just on on looking at pathogens and just realizing that even though there is a lot more pathogens which is totally evident we don't even have to to kind of uh, show that although we did it but 
but of course if you don't cook a thing then it's filled with pathogens and it can be it's filled with good bacteria and bad bacteria and uh, kind of what we just showed then in the last one was that uh, which was not evident was that if you if you have more pathogens or more bacteria then actually there is less disease and if uh, there were small children in the family that was probably the main reason for for people getting sick in the family and it wasn't the dogs and the cats and it was certainly not their raw food so in about 98,000 years of risk, we had three confirmed transmissions from dog food to, to human beings in the family. So, and we had about, uh, now I can't really remember, but maybe about 30, 60s that were, uh, not confirmed but were likely and then uh, some more so uh, I think all in all we had 63 uh, likely uh, transmissions and all of them actually uh, had small kids at home uh, so it was really more likely that it came from the kids from their kindergartens which is something that has been shown in in a lot of other studies not having anything to do with dog food but just that where people get their kind of of rotaviruses from it's it's usually from small kids that are get totally immune to them themselves but then they come home and everybody else in the family gets sick so wow um when what in in Finland in the in the vet school that the university that that you that you went to would you say it so it's more conventional in their approach to veterinary science um, in Finland I, I think that it's just like everywhere it's uh, it's I mean you have you have a lot of diseases that you have now and and kind of there's um, very much like on the human side there's kind of a recipe for everything and and as you're if you're a vet and or if you're an MD nowadays you're kind of trained to use a certain recipe for a certain diagnosis and actually if you don't you can use you can lose your license so you can't for example in Finland if you're a human medicine uh, medic and somebody comes in with a hypothyroidism uh, human, you're not uh, you can't put them on a diet but you have to put them on medication otherwise you lose like use lose your license and if i would uh, have the same thing uh, being a veterinarian i could probably uh, you know, uh, give them three options like, okay, I can, we can try to do this with acupuncture, we can try to do this with food, or we can try to do this with uh, medication. And uh, maybe the owner can have the choice, but if he would make a kind of a complaint on you and your choice, his choice, then you could get into trouble. 
And I think it's more or less like that around the world. So, so there's um, the problem is, I think one of the big problems is, is the names we give to diseases. Because when you give them a name, it's like somebody, dog, a dog owner comes in with a dog that has seizures and you do your examinations and you end up having idiopathic epilepsy. Idiopathic epilepsy actually means that it's an epilepsy where we have no clue what is the reason, but it's a very specific epilepsy. So it means that it's not a, a deficiency of every, anything or that it is not a, a, too much carbohydrates or that it is stress or it is nothing and anyway, um, you would start treating them with the medications that you're supposed to by the book. And you treat them with one and two and three and four and five, and you still end up with having about 30% of the epilepsies that even after five medications, they're not responding. And, and I think that that's really unfair against the dog that you have to put it through the whole uh, kind of management, which is if you would have more knowledge about it or more tools in your toolbox, you could start with the, the tools that are, are, you know, much less toxic. So you could start with changing the food. You could start with giving it some uh, acupuncture. You could uh, start by looking into the stress factors of the dog's life, you know, the, how the owner is home, what about the neighbors, is there a dog that stresses, uh, is it, you know, something totally different. And, and I think that those things and much more than these 30%, uh, would instantly be fixed instead of being the last ones that are going to be fixed after they've been kind of, you know, on really heavy medications for for up to years. And when you just could have tried start other way with just normal uh, kind of holistic management. And, and that's really what makes me really, really sad about the curriculums we have around the world is that that that's how it works nowadays that you're really you're really uh you know you can't really you're not allowed to do this and uh, and if you do it you're always in a in a zone where you lose your license for not giving the drug that should have been given and anyway, knowing that that so many who get that drug doesn't get any benefit from it. How so long? It's, it's, um, okay. Um, how how long were you practicing as a vet before you decided to go into academia? Uh, I was actually practicing. I had my own uh, veterinary kind of small animal practice, uh, a small hospital with some vets uh, for 15 years. So uh, I would say that any 
normal vet student, what I tell my student usually is that uh, maximum 10 years, you're going to be totally frustrated because all of your otitis, uh, your ear infections, they come back like maybe every three weeks, maybe every three months, but they never stop. Uh, all of your itching skins, you give them uh, cortisones and antibiotics, they come back. Uh, you have uh, gut problems, uh, you treat them, you put them on different type of antibiotics, of, of uh, immunosuppressants, cortisones, whatever. Uh, you just treat them and retreat and retreat them. And, and I think that people who are really not into being vets because they want the money from the customers, but people who are really into vets because they, they feel sorry for the animal that is sick, so frustrating. And with the system we have, it's just going to keep on being frustrating because we don't have the guts or most people, and especially young veterinarians, they don't, they don't have the guts to system. And they know that they can actually be, be you know, thrown out of the system. So it's, it's such a wrong system that we have at the moment. And that's really, really makes me sad. And I must say that at my university, I, I have, uh, if I take over somebody's patient, you know, who's a heart patient or uh, uh, epileptic or, uh, you know, gastrointestinal person, uh, I don't give thanks for fixing their patients. I get really, really angry colleagues <laughs> and it's, it's, it's because I, I, I do something that they don't, they don't think it's even interesting. Really sad. So you, you were already a rebellious vet when you were practicing because you were, you were also doing um, alternative treatments and, you're, and you, 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 were, you believed in, in the raw food nutrition approach as well. Um, yeah. So that, well, I, that made you a very, I, very naughty vet, actually. <laughs> yeah, yes. It still makes me a naughty vet. Um, yeah, and I, I think that actually with the, with the raw food, I was, I was, when I was in practice for, for about 20 years, I was re using raw food all the time for my, especially for my all type of inflammation per, uh, patients, like, skin and ears and gums and anal glands and and tartar and well actually more or less everything i don't use raw well i use raw food as a treatment i guess for everything but also you use antibiotics when they're needed and i do use uh some painkillers for example when they're needed and uh, and I do need, use uh, hype for hypothyroidism. I, I use thyroxine, and I use uh, anti-convulsions anti for epileptics. So there, it doesn't mean that I don't use normal medicine, but I always start from the other end, and they're my kind of my last 
resource. And did you did you get into trouble when you were practicing as a vet then, or you none of your patients actually ever complained about you in that sense? Yeah, I had complaints. I must say, in twenty years, and it was even it was a girlfriend of a of a good friend of mine and uh, it was a girl who came in with a dog that was limping and I gave it acupuncture and uh, then the dog was still limping and we gave it more acupuncture and then we put it on pain medication and then she had gone to a surgeon who said that this should be should be uh, uh, had that we should do surgery on it and so I had had I had made all the x-rays and all the clinical tests but it was a very loose cruciate ligament and it wasn't at least when I was doing my my examination of it it wasn't hadn't snapped but um, th that surgeon decided to to operate on it and um, and I think that's about the only complaints I remember uh, where somebody was really angry for me for not sending it directly to surgery. Um, so, yeah. so what would so. you say was the, the, the decision, the, the, the reason why you decided to uh, move into university academia from practicing? You know, you, you said you're practicing for about 20 years. Yeah. The thing was, well, I was, I was all the time working uh, also kind of as an on-call veterinarian at the vet school. So I had kind of my ties there. And then also I, I wanted to see if you could prove that acupuncture works uh, by, by kind of using scientific tools, like taking the toolbox of the academia and then just use it on, on uh, uh, you know, on things that usually weren't reported on. Like there wasn't really any acupuncture uh, research articles out there and even less on homeopathy. So, so I thought that I, I just wanted so badly, you know, to show to my colleagues that what I'm doing, you know, to your quality control, and so, um, so I did one study and then I did another study and then somebody at the vet school said that, why don't you make a PhD? You already have two articles and you don't, you just need two more. So, uh, so then I actually, first I thought that I wouldn't because I didn't need it for anything. And uh, then my supervisor actually said to me, which was very, very wise of her that, um, since I'm in a world where I'm kind of fighting for things that nobody believes in, in my kind of my own, my peer world, that if I become a PhD and a doctor and a professor, then people will have to believe me just because they know that I've done my research in a way that you can't become somebody up in the academia if you're, if you're doing it the wrong way. So, uh, so then I, uh, I thought that, okay, that's good enough. And I don't really mind uh, being able to, to kind of show them in the way 
that being also having their titles that if if they believe in more then i'll go for it and uh, and so i did so uh, so now i am working higher up in the the vet school and and people really have to listen to as well and that's cool that is so <laughs> cool i mean i have to thank your supervisor in that sense for inspiring you to to make that this that that right decision you know to to actually you're a warrior you're a warrior for for you know alternative treatments in the scientific world um you know that that's basically what what you're fighting for is recognition um that that the holistic modalities there is a scientific basis for it you know it it sort of um what's the word legitimize um the use of these modalities yeah yeah that's true for effective outcomes um which i think is Wow! Again, wow! I, I, you know, I, I just think your, your, your story is, you know, you're like a warrior princess to me, you know, like Zena the warrior. You're just, you know, keep fighting and 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 you know, very stubborn. You know, definitely stubbornness. I can see, you know, and I'm so grateful for that because not not many, I think, not many, uh, women, you know, um, I think. You know, uh, especially during your time as as a as a student, as a vet, um, because I would say in those days was still male dominated. In in the no, actually in in Finland it was already then it was women. I think that we were about forty uh, girls and six boys in my class or something like that. So it was it was it had already changed. So when we went out working, then. It was very different, you know, work, like the place where I went to treat the cows, uh, you know, they had only had very old men forever <laughs> and, uh, and men coming and men coming and, or getting old. And, and so they were just like, wow, with this, you know, young women coming, that's really strange. But, uh, but yes, when I, I would say that already at my time, most of the small animal vets were men already. So, but, but I, I also, one thing that I, I, I think I owe the system, this is that um, uh, because I at university and because they do let me do research in, in things that are new and interesting and uh, you know that, that have some kind of potential new findings to be done. So I, I, I think that it would be very stupid of me not to do it since I can, because there are so few places in the world where you can, where, where, where somebody uh, even would have been able to do a PhD on alternative medicine. So, so I must say, I, I really thank my university for having kind of having to, uh, you know, me write those articles. And, and I do remember that was, for example, there was a lot of people that want to have their names on my paper because they were on acupuncture or homeopathy. And then some brave ones that thought that, you know, it was cool enough, but, but uh, yeah. It's amazing. Oh, it's 
amazing. So mm. actually, your story about the, the the paper and putting their names down for 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 your papers in the university that actually um, um, leads me to my next question would be you know um, the freedom to to do research in in what you wanted. You know, um, did you ever feel when you were at university that you were pressured to to skew your 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 research work? You know, in a certain way, was there any pressure, of like you know, a hidden agenda or an outcome that they wanted? Uh, well, actually, I, I I think that more what I had was that I I was kind of alone. I had my supervisor, but I mean, uh, I was kind of an odd bird, and and uh, I didn't have have a lot of of you know co-workers in that sense. So so I more or less, you know, I planned my studies, and I I I got really help from from I I went to actually to the medical department instead of the veterinarian, and and there I was kind of just odd because I was a veterinarian and I wasn't really odd because I had, I wanted to do research. So I was just odd anyway. So, so um, I got really a lot of help from the pain clinic there. And, and, um, and then it was actually quite much later when we did one study, for example, that, that uh, I, I kind of my data hijacked once and uh, that was the only time where uh, I could see that somebody was trying to skew it in a way that that it, so that it would would show that it didn't work. And uh, and I don't think they were really doing it kind of on on well maybe probably yes on purpose but yeah. That was that was very much later. So so that was just some years ago. I had I had trouble with that, and then actually I think the most of the trouble you have with doing research like this is publishing, and uh, and there the problem is probably twofold: is that there's very few people that do what you do. So there's so many people that want to review your articles because they don't kind of of uh, know uh, or think they know enough of the subject. So, so that's a bit hard. And then also that a lot of people who really review your articles are maybe doing the same. They don't want you to publish before them, so it takes a long time. So, and then I must say one of my PhD articles, for example, my supervisor actually had to to phone to the main editor and she was actually screaming her head off and the editor said okay just send it in again because they had had that you know article for like two years on the shelf and then they just sent me a message saying not in the scope of this so you know I had been waiting for it for two years and just you know refused it uh, and just didn't even look at it and could have said that two, two years before wow. and uh, and so that was uh, so there's a lot of this 
uh, and especially before the open access for uh, kind of the opening of the journals, because now, like before, there was about three thousand journals. Now there are about thousand journals. So it means that there's a lot of these journals which aren't very good, and uh, we don't want to publish in those ones uh, because then everybody will. Okay, she just got it only published in that journal, so can't put it there. But then the really good ones are usually very, very conservative. So putting in totally new uh, is rarely possible because they just think that it's, you know, this is not in the scope of their journal. So what we have done is that we've uh, published only now in open access so that also everybody also in Singapore and wherever people are, you know, just reading, uh, they can go in on the internet and everybody can read the articles. So that's really good. And then also we've been publishing much more in, in human or kind of general articles, uh, journals where, where they publish both animal and human medicine and and a lot of other kind of, of uh, things as well. So that has really helped us as, a lot as well. Um, do you do you have to do self-funding or would a university help fund your research work normally? I'm, I'm coming from a complete, you know, ignorant person. So, uh, you know, how do you get your, your, your project, you know, um, if you could maybe go through the stage of um, one of your projects, like from, from inception, the idea, and then the proposal, and then um, getting, you know, the, the logistics, the funding, and, you know, the mechanism... You know, um, how long would it yeah. take from, from birth to, to end to delivery? <laughs> birth to delivery depends on, let's say, it usually takes maybe four years. So it's a long process. And um, so you get an idea. And uh, like, I love uh, for years. Uh, I, I love to do millions and millions of, of uh, different, uh, you know, blood samples and urine samples and, and uh, saliva and hair and fecals and everything you can get. And, and I love this concept of this, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence that you just, you, you have, you take everything and are kind of associations and correlations between, and that really kind of helps you to, to see uh, what we, so when I do research nowadays, I do quiz before, during, after, I do sampling before, during, after, I do clinical, looking at clinical symptoms and signs, either questionnaires, either or, and usually questionnaires with, with clinical uh, validated systems from veterinarians. So I kind of want to have the whole genotype, the whole phenotype, the whole 
you know, why animal get that, that disease? Uh, what was it thing when it was getting that disease? Did it change? Did we change the food and did something change? And what changed in the blood? What came out in the urine as a metabolic product? You know, trying to see these these metabolic pathways and exome from place to place and, and uh, you know, genes being expressed and why. And uh, so it's kind of a really gigantic jigsaw puzzle. Getting as much as possible kind of what I'm just gathering a lot of, of data on animals and on so that's also why it takes kind of a long time just to report anything usually get some phd students i have a lot of posts that come from around the world that are working with us i i can't take anybody who needs any funding because i don't have funding so for example now i have one from um uh, uh, Manal is from Egypt, and I have Stella from from Brazil, and I have Florian from France, and I have Robin, half American, and uh, and then I guess as well. But more, we're quite into now, and and. Uh, for the funding, uh, I get zero, zero point zero from the university. Uh, that's not totally true because I get a salary, and uh, and if I'm lucky, uh, some of my PhD students may, from their second work or kind of year on, might get funded by the university or by some kind of association that funds PhD students. Usually you have to kind of get them funding for the first years, get the first to go out. And when they do that, then, you know, it's easier for them themselves as well to, to try to get funding. And uh, my uh, my own researchers and postdocs usually don't have funding. Now I have uh, actually been able to get some funding from from uh, different um, grant associations, from some companies, uh, from uh, different uh, companies that do analysis from other universities. So it's kind of a patchwork of, of a lot of, and, and we've done three big crowdfundings, one of them with Karen and, and Rodney, is really good as well. So, so they got us money for about a year for, for uh, a postdoc, and I've got some, uh, so it's, it's really a patchwork, but from the university, it's only my salary, so, so. So it's, um, and I guess that uh, so far, most of my time goes just to kind of, of uh, trying to do a bit of statistics and things because I, in my group, I have a lot of people who are very good at things, but, but we have, I only have two that do a bit of statistics. 
and I have more work than for two. And uh, so, so I'll do a lot of that. And then I re kind of, of read all the final drafts of the articles. And I have loads of, of students at the university which are writing either things that, uh, you know, topics that I have given them or then uh, just kind of normal work that they're doing some things in that has to do with small animal surgery where I'm, I'm actually working. So, uh, and then I do a lot with the Corona dogs at the moment. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, so um, everything really slow. I put, too much time into trying to get funding for everybody and and uh, so I've always told everybody that if everybody who feeds you know raw food just would put in one euro a year we would have plenty because we would have you know 10 million euros a year to work with and it wouldn't you know be any problem for anybody else because a euro everybody can give but i think that getting the one euro through a system usually eats it up because probably taking through a bank costs a euro as well so but uh, yeah we should we should really try to get it because i think that what we've seen now with the with the corona crisis is that there is such a big of this kind of grassroots movement of people helping each other and um, and kind of being out. So I think that, that most people just enjoy helping you how to do it. So, so I think it would be really that. But it was salary for somebody at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. And... And you never thought of giving up all this time, you know, with, with all this, I mean, I think for a normal person, yeah. the idea of, you know, trying to ask for money and, and, and you know, um, scratching their head and, and juggling, you know, um, say the university yeah. job that you have, you know, at the hospital, plus, you know, teaching the students and everything, you know, um, did you ever yeah. think about giving up? No. <laughs> never. Oh, you know, giving up is not in my vocabulary. <laughs> Actually, uh, if I ever feel giving up, it just inspires me more. Yeah, I don't think there is there's not any kind of thing of giving up. It's just like, you know, just finding another way. And and I'm quite good at finding other ways. And I'm very. Um, uh, proactive and and some people would say i'm rude because i'm i'm i keep too much to the and i uh so uh you know if i really need something i just i can ask so uh, i think that Things that slow on make, you know, anxious. I'd like to have everything done yesterday. And, and you know, if somebody comes and say that they can't do this because this and that, I mean, that's not a reason. There is no reason that you can't do a thing because 
it's just, you know, it's an hour's work of just fixing that you can do it and that's it. And there is never a not possible. It's, I've been anything in my life that hasn't been possible. Everything's possible. Question of, of doing it. Yeah. You, you have the spirit of what I call a, a real entrepreneur, you know, um, <laughs> honestly, what, how, the, the, what you're describing, the, the obstacles and, you know, how your, your attitude and your approach to, to things where you don't give up and you keep finding a, a way, you know, your optimism, um, that is that is the quintessential of how we, we say you know the, the entrepreneurial spirit, you know where you you have a vision you have a belief, and you you sound yeah. like through everything and everyone I'm just gonna get there you know it yeah it doesn't matter how but I'm gonna get there and I'm gonna you know figure it out you know the obstacle is the way as as uh, yeah. put it and you know I just. I have so much admiration for you. I, I, I don't know whether you, 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 you can feel it, you know, uh, coming from the, the, the internet, but, you know, listening to your story, my heart just keeps swelling up, you know, with, with a lot of emotion because I just feel, you know, um, wow, thank God for you. <laughs> Honestly, we want to get the papers that you've done. Yeah, and actually, I, I think that that... If I just can get somebody inspired to do do the same thing or to just go, you know, walk through just gray stone because their their gray stone is just it's like it's on the like in the back. I don't know if you remember what you have in the back, but you have the left brain and the right yes. brain there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah that's it so it's very gray the left side there but but with the right side you can just walk through it so so just kind of remember that there is no stopping there is no stopping people who want and uh, and and the thing is also that you shouldn't you misuse it because uh, as a academic uh the truth is the only thing that counts. So if I would find that all of a sudden that raw food is very dangerous to dogs or that it's not healthy, I mean, I wouldn't continue this. I would get up and say that, okay, now we've done this for another 20 years. In the end, now the dry food has become so much better. And the dry, the raw food is is actually not so good, and and that's it. I was, we always kind of have to remember also to keep to keep to the truth, and not kind of driving our agenda. You, we can drive our agenda uh, through really gray stone, uh, but we shouldn't have an agenda we should just be open for the results and and go where they go and every time i prove myself wrong as i said before i love it i just love to prove myself wrong i think it's so cool because i've been really sure about something and then all of a sudden i just realized that okay it's not like that and so i put that on the shelf and 
then I go on with the next thing. I mean, there's plenty of things to, to show to be either true or false. And, and just kind of, we just have to remember to focus on, on doing it with the right spirit so that we don't prove things just for proving them, just for proving ourselves. I have actually no agenda on acupuncture, homeopathy, raw food or anything. My agenda is, is trying to find what is best for human beings and dogs and all animals actually. So, so I'm, I'm becoming in the age also where I think it's interesting uh, just to look at human health. So a lot of, of uh, the diseases that we're looking at, or actually most of the diseases we're looking at are totally the same for human people. Looking at arthritis or epilepsy or hypothyroidism or cancer, arthritis or uh, IBD or allergy or whatever, they're just the same diseases in humans. Then extra to that, we're looking at anal gland infections and some things that people don't have. But, um, but even the breast cancer is totally the same. So, I mean, it's, it's really what we find, I hope that it would be very interesting for human doctors to read just as much, uh, just as much as I read about human diseases all the time. I think that they would have, you know, have great, uh, it would be very good for them to read about what we, not only we, but, but what veterinarians do on, on dog diseases. And I think that in this time, we're, we're kind of coming there because there's this new thing that they call One Health, which is like the One Health, that it's the same health for animals and, and, and humans. And, um, and I think that's a very good thing. And it, it can probably thing both for human and animals um in your in your life's journey so far what would you say you're most proud of in your journey today you know of all the things you've done i mean what would you be most proud of <laughs> my children <laughs> probably uh but uh, kind of uh, hmm. uh, that's a tough one I guess that just that never giving up and and keeping keeping kind of up a nice atmosphere at work keeping people happy and, and wanting to work and <coughs> being able somewhere in some small sentences here and there, putting in some doubt into the normal vet students about things that I have to teach them that I believe in. And, uh, you know, kind of, uh, giving vets around the globe now a, an alternative because the more we publish the more it will be easier for them to say that this looks good and who who would you say has you know um in your journey 
uh, who 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 is your inspiration, or who has inspired you? Oh, actually, there is a lot of people who has inspired me. I think everybody who thinks with their own brain and you know says things are not just talk or things that you should say or should think have been my inspiration you know people who are who have not been afraid of of uh, of being different and uh, i guess most of my heroes <clears throat> comes from the my early days as an acupuncturist so uh these wonderful people uh who you know who shared totally everything they had and and you know we're sitting up day and night just talking to us and answering questions and um, so uh, I think that that there as well kind of my my main heroes were the ones that were 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 kind of trained west in western medicine and uh, and knew from their work that these other modalities were so much better but they they tried to kind of prove it uh using the the, the western medicine way so there was like yukka kusari who was the first vet to bring acupuncture to finland phil rogers who's an irish vet who kind of with the first computers tried to computerize the whole uh, veterinary acupuncture literature. Uh, Oswald Kotbauer, who was my first cow vet, and he was uh, actually working at the university and sometimes he was able to to teach there some classes, but he was a country vet who had for 40 years just been sticking needles in, in uh, cows at different places uh, with all diseases and, and made a kind of a cow chart on all the referring kind of pain areas. So, so if he'd have a cow with mastitis, go through the whole cow, and see where he could where the cow had pain and knowing kind of of uh, these referred pain areas that weren't really known at that time i mean he started doing this about 60 years ago uh, so um, he he made uh, the first cow charts acupuncture charts then Luc Janssens, who was also, he was working at the university and who was writing the first articles on acupuncture and disc disease. And I think that of the people nowadays, Karen Becker and Rodney Abib, of course, are my big heroes. Uh, 
just for having the guts to speak out. Susan Trixton, I mean, there is lots. Nick Thompson, uh, yeah, I mean, there is just so many people. And I really, I admire all of them who, who kind of want to, to give a better alternative to animals and humans. If, if you could speak to your younger self, looking back, um, what would you advise your younger self then? You know, now knowing what you know now, you know. Actually, I wouldn't change a day in my life. So I don't know if I really wouldn't need to give me myself any advice. Uh, no, no, I think <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. I, I just, there's no right and wrong answer. That's the thing you see. I, I just, I just find it yeah. so, you know, um, fascinating, you know, your outlook is just, um, like I said, that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, and you actually, you know, even though you are, you know, an academic and you do use your left brain, but you actually use a lot of your right brain, you know, um, you, you use both sides, yeah, yeah. you know, you're, you're not, you're not the, the stereotypical white coat uh, scientist that, you know, some people think in academia, um, you know, yeah. so, Speaking to you, I, you know, I'm, I'm just amazed by the amount of that life and that feisty, you know, uh, you know, uh, thirst that you have to, 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 to get your way and, and, and to overcome obstacles, but you don't think that, you know, obstacles, you know, you know, it's okay, come to me, you know, I, I will sort it out. You have that, you know, very, um, very gung-ho spirit and I, I just, you know, um, I just think, you know, like, while speaking to you, now I know exactly why, you know, I was so drawn to you in the, in the, in the beginning years ago, you know, not even knowing your background, but, you know, there was something about you that I've always felt was very special. And, and I feel so honored, you know, that you actually made time for me. And, you know, it's, it's uh, I think it's what, uh, 11.20 now or at night at your site, if I'm not wrong, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I, I, I'm so, you know, thank you so much for, for really making the time to speak to me in your home after working hours, you know, I, I, I just feel very honored and um, so blessed. I know, I'm actually, I have summer vacation. It actually, my summer vacation is that I can sit out on a desert with my computer and work all day. And now, but nobody comes in and disturbs me. Silly questions. So, uh, yeah. So there's, uh, this is, uh, it was, it was totally okay. That's a, a good end at, at my working day today. So. I had really kind of boring, I was sitting with Excel and SPSS sheets <laughs> and trying to, to make sense of, of variables. So, so this was much more fun. <laughs> well, you know, well, thank you for, 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 for giving me the time, you know, um, and, and sharing your story. Um, you know, but um, thank you for having me and, and uh, actually just uh, as a small, small to everybody, just go for it. 
I think that's the main spirits of, of uh, if you have an idea or if you want to do something, just do it. I mean, there's, you, you just, just make it happen. And, and things don't come to your, to your step ever. You always have to work to get there. So it's, uh, it's nothing, it's not there. You can have, of course, a bit of good luck and luck and, and you can have, have a kind of, uh, you can be better at playing the piano or, or writing articles or, but, but there's nothing you can't do if you want to do it. And if you're good at song, especially, then you really should do it. So I think that that's kind of my advice for everybody. Oh. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Anaheim Bjorkman, for your time. And you're doing a good job there. I, I really <laughs> like your, and I love your left and right brain there. I've been fascinated by, um, you know, how our brain works and, uh, yeah. I've been reading and, and, and learning and I think it's part of my journey of self-discovery as well. Uh, one of the reasons why I get, yeah. I push myself out of my comfort zone to do a podcast like this, you know, and, and, and pluck up the courage yeah. to, to, to giants like you, yeah. you know, you, you are a giant to me, you know, and you have no idea how nervous I was when I, when I typed my, my email request to you. <laughs> <laughs> I was not nervous when I read it and I answered instantly and said yes. <laughs> but it was really nice talking to you and uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you for listening to Dr. Anna's story. Look out for Monkey's House, Michelle Allen's interview next week. Wow, I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. Thank you, and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone.